Good morning, church family. This is already the last week of our One Another series together, uh, where we have been considering the role of one another um, in the lives of each other as the church. We've looked at what it means to love one another, how to bear one another's burdens, how to encourage one another. And then finally this morning, we are going to look at the command to instruct one another. I want to imagine this morning with you a young man, we'll call him Jim, and Jim has been a part of CCF for a while now. He and his wife became members a few years ago, but after having their first baby, had not really been proactive about getting involved in the life of the church family. And one Sunday morning, he shows up by himself and lingers in the auditorium for a bit after the service. You begin talking with him. And you know Jim casually, you've talked to him a few times, he was a part of your small group for a little bit, but you can tell right away that something is wrong. Right away, you can kind of notice that he's different, there's something desperate about him this morning, he seems broken. As you continue to talk with him, he tells you that his wife was not even willing to show up that morning because he has become so distant at home. Coming home from work each day, heading straight to the basement with his dinner, passing each night with too much drinking and too many video games. He doesn't even want to go home because he's ashamed, he's hurting, and won't even know what to say to his wife. What do you do in that situation? This man standing before you needs the love of the body of Christ. He needs people that are going to bear his burdens with him. He needs encouragement, and he needs counsel and instruction. Who can give that to him? Well, I hope that as we have walked through this series together, it has become clear that you can. In fact, you must. What do you do in a situation like that? It's certainly not clean. It's not a one-size-fits-all. There are layers to situations like that and layers of involvement to how we would help a man like that, but there are certain things that that brother needs that God has equipped and called you to give him. One of those things we are equipped and called to give is what we will look at this morning from Romans chapter 15, if you would turn to Romans. And we're going to look at several other passages as well this morning, kind of uniquely go to some other places to help us reinforce and elaborate on this command But let's begin by reading Romans chapter 15, verse 14. 15, verse 14. God's word says this. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Paul's words here in Romans 15 are at the end of a letter that has a lot to say about what it means to live in one another community, about having a culture of love, a culture of care within the church. Just a few chapters earlier, chapter 12, some of these things will be on the screen just so you can see all that he talks about. Each member belonging to one another, using their gifts for the good of one another, devoted to one another, outdoing one another with honor, sharing, hospitality, rejoicing and weeping and living in harmony together as the body of Christ. That's just chapter 12. 
chapter 13, is written in the context of love for one another. Even earlier in chapter 15, before our verse this morning, he writes of our obligations to one another as the people of God. This verse then, verse 14, is not a verse isolated for the purpose of making it fit our series this morning. It is yet another reminder of what Paul is looking for in the people of God and is calling the people of God to, to live out our calling as the church. And I want us this morning to think about this command to instruct one another in two main headings. First, we are able to instruct one another. Second, we are obligated to instruct one another. So there's both an ability and a calling. First, we are able to instruct one another. I think the CSB translation is really helpful here at the beginning of verse 14, where it says, my brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced about you. He's writing to brothers and sisters in the faith, converted Jews, converted Greeks, young Christians, many of them, in Rome, ordinary Christians. This is not written to the elite. This is not written to the apostles or the elders or teachers within the church. These are likely people that make up small house churches spread throughout Rome. People that don't even have the completed New Testament yet. And he's telling them they are able to instruct one another. He expresses confidence in the Christians who are in Rome because they were evidencing the truth of the gospel. They were living in light of the gospel truth. Not because they were perfect, Not because they were as mature as they would one day be, but because they were living in light of this calling, full of goodness and spiritual knowledge. None of us are sufficient in and of ourselves for this calling. 2 Corinthians 3. We are able by his grace. Our sufficiency comes from him. Our ability to do this comes from him. But here he highlights three things he wants to affirm in them. He says, you're full of goodness, you're filled with all knowledge, and our main point, you are able to instruct one another. Goodness is the same word we see in Galatians 5 when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Goodness in the Christian life. It's conduct that's in line with someone who is saved by the gospel. The Holy Spirit evidencing this fruit, being full of goodness. They were imperfectly loving and kind and generous and caring. They were trying to bless the people among them for the glory of God. They were caring for the body of Christ through the way they showed that off through goodness. And then also he says, filled with all knowledge. This is the type of knowledge that knows how to relate God's truth to life. This doesn't mean they know everything. This doesn't mean they have a a seminary-trained education on every single doctrine every single way of interpreting a certain verse. This is the type of knowledge that shows itself off by loving and knowing God's truth, doctrinally sound. They knew and loved the truth of God. They had an understanding of what God had revealed about himself. Colossians 3 tells us something really similar to this. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So full of this Wisdom from God, it's dwelling in you richly. And then it says, teaching and admonishing one another. So because the the truth dwells in you, you therefore go teach and admonish. You speak truth into the lives of others. 
which leads to that last thing that he affirms them in, that they are able to instruct one another. The word instruct or admonish means to counsel, to direct, to warn even. Different translations use words like admonish. You'll see counsel, teach, instruct all throughout the New Testament. And admonishing someone doing this is not just casual conversation. It's not just talking about the things of life. It is a comprehensive term really for counseling, for speaking the truth of God into the life of someone else. All of you, I would assume, instruct or give advice daily, especially if you live with other people. You counsel and instruct people all the time if you have relationships. So it really is not a question of whether or not you're doing this. It's whether or not you're doing it well, whether or not you're doing it faithfully and biblically and giving helpful, faithful instruction. You and I make decisions all the time, and we help others make decisions that are all informed by something. There's something that is informing the way we're helping other people or the way we are thinking through decisions, how we're going to spend our money, how we're going to respond in this conflict, how we're going to walk through suffering. Something is guiding the way we counsel ourselves or counsel others through that. So we've got to ask, is our counsel to ourselves, to others, informed by the word, informed by the gospel, or is it casual? Is it informed by a worldly way of thinking? We are able to admonish one another in a way that is helpful, faithful, and we're able, even though all of us in this room need to be instructed ourselves, all of us need to be admonished and counseled and warned. That does not exclude us from our ability to instruct. This letter is one example. Paul's instructing them for many chapters on lots of different things while saying you are also able to instruct. You need to be reminded, admonished, spurred on, called out, but you also are able to instruct, as Paul writes. Remember that when you doubt your ability to be able to help others, when you doubt your ability to be able to speak truth into the lives of those God has placed around you. As gospel people, people who need grace, people who are maturing slower than any of us would like, as we look to Jesus, we can speak truth into the lives of one another. We are able to humbly point out sin and warn of danger. We are able to teach one another to love God and his truth and others. We're able to help others live worthy of the calling to which they've been called, to advise towards maturity, to help people think wisely, biblically, through suffering and decisions and conflict. As a member of the body of Christ, you have been given so many various gifts to be used in the life of one another. And one of those ways that all of us are called to be involved in that is mutual instruction, mutual counsel and encouragement. Pray that God will show you ways in which you can humbly and faithfully do this. This is a joy that we get to be a part of. It's a privilege that God entrusts us to be a part of this work together a work that we all need, a ministry that every single one of us needs from other people, and we get to be involved in that work. God has designed it this way. They need you, and, and you need them. And we believe, as a church family, that God has called us to be a people that do this, not just a select few, not just a special group of people set aside to do this work. 
I, I believe and I think as a church we believe that our, our body here is actually going to be really malnourished and weak if only a few people are doing this work. That you are able to instruct and encourage and bear burdens and love one another. Ephesians 4 gives us such helpful insight into how the church should work. Paul writes, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I hope you see your role that you get to play in that verse, in that passage, as Paul points to what we are actually a part of, what we get to do. The risen Christ, ascended Christ, gives leaders to his church. And these pastors and teachers and leaders are called to equip or prepare the members for the ministry, for the work of the ministry. And part of this member ministry involves speaking the truth and love to one another. Gospel truths that, that permeate our conversation and our instruction and our relationships with one another. And incredibly, God uses all of that, the way he has set up the church to operate, he uses it for our unity and for our maturity. To help us grow up in grace. To help us see Christ more clearly and love him more and love his word, and fight sin, and run the race that, that we have set before us together. He uses us collectively, not a few. A few cannot meet the needs of the many. The many meet the needs of the many. The church meets the needs of the church. It is the calling of all God's people because we are all striving to grow in maturity and by his grace we are able. Certainly there are situations and circumstances where it is important to bring others in, to bring in trained counselors or to walk through some meetings with a pastor or a mature believer, a more mature believer. Even certain seasons where you should even back away from offering counsel or speaking into specific situations. There's wisdom in that. However, I think we've allowed the pendulum to swing solely to the side of things where when we think about instruction, when we think about counsel, we think about the preaching, the teaching, and the formal counseling room. While the informal setting is the stuff that makes up 95% of our week, 95% of our relationships. So what qualifies you and maybe that's a question you're, you're thinking as you hear an example like at the beginning, like, I am certainly not qualified to even talk with that man. What qualifies you to instruct or counsel or correct others within the body of Christ? 
Well, I would suggest the same thing that qualified you to take part in the Lord's Supper this morning. If you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and are seeking to walk in light of the truth of that gospel, you are able to speak truth into the lives of other people. Second, not only are you able to instruct, you are obligated to instruct one another. There's a calling, there's an urgency to this. In this case, Paul highlighting their ability should then lead to their doing. He's not telling them this in case one day they decide they want to instruct or counsel or teach. Everything that surrounds this affirmation points to the fact that if they love one another, if they long to glorify God within the church, they long to care for the people that God has given them, they have got to be counseling one another. They have got to be caring for one another with intentional words. Every believer has the responsibility, the obligation to admonish. The phrase one another means me admonishing you and you admonishing me. There are people in your life that you are the right person to give them advice, to direct, to warn, to speak into their life. And, and please listen, there are people in your life that are the right people to do that for you as well. You need that. If we love one another, we will care for one another in this way. In January, our small groups spent just a little bit of time walking through a small book, a very simple book that walks through some of the basics of what it looks like to care for one another. It's called Caring for One Another by Ed Welch, uh, Eight Ways to Cultivate Meaningful Relationship. And in the preface of that book, he writes this, our calling is to care for each other's souls. We want to bring our struggles to the Lord and to each other so that the church can be strengthened and the world can witness wisdom and love. But since we have a long list of our own problems, we could easily think that care for others is best left to those who are more qualified. But the kingdom of God operates in ways we might not expect. Here, the humble and weak are the ones who do the heavy lifting of pastoral care. Shepherds and teachers do the work of the ministry. They also train us to do the work of the ministry. Apparently, the Lord is pleased to use ordinary people through seemingly ordinary acts of love to be the prime contributors to the maturing of his people. If you have trusted in Jesus rather than yourself, and you feel weak and unqualified, then you are qualified. Then you are called, obligated, I would say, to this care for each other. One of the most well-known passages that speaks to this is found in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Great Commission finds its fulfillment in two ways here, specifically in chapter 28. First, we introduce believers into the body through the act of baptism. We show that they have identified with Jesus through baptism. They trust in Jesus, identify through baptism. And then we help them walk worthy of that. With the Spirit's help, we help them walk worthy of that over time. And teaching is one of the primary ways we do that. Speaking into one another's life is one of the primary ways we do that. Helping them observe and see 
and follow what Jesus has said, what God has taught us. So if we want to make disciples of Jesus Christ, then we need to help people see and hear and know and love Jesus and his word through intentional conversations, through counsel and instruction. Therefore, this is our joy. This is our calling. This is our obligation to the church. Colossians 1.28, Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So Paul talking about this joy that he gets to be a part of, to warn and to teach. And the goal is to present mature in Christ those who are around him, those he's writing to, those he gets to minister to and live life with. We've talked about this with some of the one another's. Right? Our, we are not a competition to one another. We are not just people we pass in the hallways on Sundays. We, our goal for one another is that we would stand before the Lord, mature in Christ, that we would run the race faithfully, fighting sin, loving one another well. And so we help one another in that. We seek to walk alongside each other in this goal. Paul says, this is why I toil, struggling with all my energy, because I want to be a part of what God has called me to do in this way. And it's not just something Paul does, but something he models and instructs us to be doing. It's our obligation because we are to be one means that God has set up to help one another mature, to help one another towards spiritual maturity, towards a greater delight in the Lord, towards a greater love for one another. But how can we do this well? There are a lot of traps, a lot of what-ifs or questions that we may have as we think about something like this. So I pray, first of all, that this just produces some good, helpful, intentional conversation together. But I do want to try and give some general thoughts as we think about this. What does it look like to instruct one another? What does it look like to counsel in this way? Even me saying the word counsel over and over again makes some of you uncomfortable, right? Like that's something someone else does. But I want that to become a language that we're comfortable with. We counsel one another. We've got to counsel one another. So I'm going to walk through eight things just to keep up with last week, right? We've got to have eight points here as we think through this, and I'll try to move through these quickly, but I think they're important things for us to think through. First, hopefully obvious, pray. Depend on the Lord with every bit of counsel and advice and instruction that you give. You feel inadequate? You are. Ultimately, you are. And so take those inadequacies to the Lord. Take those fears to the Lord. Even, I mean, it's amazing what our minds can do as I'm preaching. I can be praying, and I can be thinking about something over here, and I can be looking at you, right? There are so many things our minds can do as we're communicating with people. So even while you're instructing, pray. Give it to the Lord. Depend on him. And examine your own heart. Go to the Lord examining your own heart in sort of a Matthew 7 model of removing the log before you go try to worry about someone's speck. Examine your heart, go before the Lord as you approach people with admonishment or warning or correction or counsel. Pray. Second, speak with empathy. Speak with empathy. 
In 1 Corinthians 4, it says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. There's a love to walk alongside, to come alongside in that, not to make you ashamed, not to make you feel even more burdened by your sin or by your struggle, but to help, to love and care for and walk alongside. There are so many times with admonishment or with counsel where there's already a lot of fear and guilt and embarrassment or just a weariness. So come into this with empathy alongside them. Even if you've never experienced it, even if you don't know what it feels like, even if you're having a hard time understanding what it is that they're experiencing. Don't patronize with quick, cliche responses. Right? That's not helpful in those moments. Come alongside. Don't just say, well, stop it. You know, right? That's not helpful. That's not going to help them in that moment. They already know that. But even if you have no idea, seek to enter in, to empathize. I think we have the hardest time doing that in our homes, to be honest, don't we? With our spouses, with those we live with, we don't do a good job of empathizing. We see it from our perspective and because they respond to things differently or think through things differently or, or reason through and negotiate things differently in their own minds or pray through things differently or take longer than we do, we don't do a good job of empathizing. I think that's so important. We've got to speak with empathy. Number three, be available. Be ready to be used by God according to his timing, even if it's not your timing. All of this type of instruction, of course, includes preaching, and it includes formal counseling, it includes teaching, but it also includes so many of the informal, spur-of-the-moment type conversations and interactions after a small group, after a service, a late-night text, a meal together, over coffee. Those are the times where counsel is taking place, and we need to be available and ready to speak into those moments wisely. And as we've talked about with every one another, be around and in relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ or this cannot happen. We have got to be in relationship together to be able to speak into one another's life and have others speak into our lives, which, as I've mentioned over and over again, we need. So be around one another. Number four, read the room. This passage has come up almost every week, 1 Thessalonians 5, but I think it's so helpful and it speaks to all of these things. It says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Not everybody needs the exact same answer in the exact same moment. We have to use wisdom and walk through these situations prayerfully and carefully. Read the room, read the situation and how you should speak into that. Know when to instruct and when to encourage, when to admonish and when to just listen. Recognize that sometimes you will need to listen for a long time before you speak into that situation. Sometimes you'll need to wait until the third or fourth coffee together before you give specific instruction and wisdom or warning. So read the room. Number five, know the word and speak the word. Never stop mining the riches of the scriptures. Read them, sing them, pray them, 
memorize them. Whatever you've got to do to be exposed to the word over and over and over again, do it. This is ultimately what will allow you to counsel yourself and to counsel others most helpfully. Knowing the word and knowing others well allows us to actually help them. One thing I hope has been clear as we have spent time in this series together is that if we're going to love one another well, if we're going to actually bear burdens well and encourage faithfully and instruct, the word has got to be hidden away. It's not just about you. Reading and knowing the word is not just about you. It's not just about pleasing God by reading five times a week or studying five times a week. You are being equipped to be able to speak into the lives of people as you know and are exposed to the word. To be able to better disciple and care for your kids. To be able to disciple and love your wife and husband well. To be able to speak into the body of Christ. As you know the word, you are better prepared to help people. So know the word. Spend time in the word. Tim Keller said, if Jesus didn't think he could handle life without knowing the scripture inside and out, what makes you think you can? Know and speak the word. Number six, take advantage of resources, other resources outside of the scriptures even. We have more resources available to us today than at any time in history. You can click a button and the book shows up tomorrow. I mean, that's amazing, right? You can have resources anytime you want. Books about counseling and Bible studies and how to read the scriptures and how to help other people in specific situations. So take advantage of those things. Resource those things. Give those books away. Find faithful resources and use them. You don't even have a good excuse if you don't like to read because everything's on audio, right? Listen to good books. Listen to helpful resources. If you don't know where to start, we would be happy to help in that. If there's a specific issue or sin struggle or counseling situation or something with your kids and you don't know where to go or what to, to even give them or look at, please reach out. We would be happy to try to help. Number seven, be teachable. Being able to teach others does not mean that you are not needing to be taught. We have got to be I think this is one of the, the greatest qualities that the Lord grows in us is to just be teachable, to be ready to, to receive and hear from others and to hear from the word and let it do work in us, to recognize we don't have it all together, that the gospel is actually true. We need help. So be teachable. Even if instruction or counsel comes in a broken way from a broken person, that you could say, well, I could point to 10 things in your life that you need help with, right? In those moments, even, be teachable. Even when my kids say things to me, right? I'm like, wait a second, you know? I need to be teachable in those moments, right? If my kids speak truth into my life, I need to listen. I need to be receptive to that. Harold Best said, a mature Christian is easily edified. A mature Christian is easily edified. You can be edified by almost anything that another believer says to you, even if it's said in the wrong way from a person that you don't even respect that much. You can be edified if you are a mature Christian. So are you approachable? Are you ready to hear from other people? Recognizing that the gospel is actually shown off 
when you realize that you have things that need to be spoken into. And then lastly, don't be afraid to bring others in. Counselors, pastors, mature believers, lawyers, authorities, I mean, in certain situations, that may be needed, right? Don't be afraid to bring people into the situation. All that has been said so far does not mean you need to do this alone every single time, or really ever. Bring others into this. We don't have to do this alone, and some situations shouldn't be walked through with only a few people. Wisdom will dictate what that looks like, and tell them you're bringing others in. Don't use this as an opportunity to gossip. Bring others in and let them know you're bringing them in if there are situations where you need help. I want to close this sermon and really this series by reading an account shared by one local pastor that I think shows us one way, just one way, and maybe it may seem like an extreme way, but it's one way that this plays itself out in the life of the local church. He writes, at first glance, Steve and Alexis were the all-American couple living the American dream. Married more than two decades, three teenage children who would make any parent proud, great jobs, beautiful home, active in the church. But look beneath the surface and you would see another story, as I did that day that their oldest son, Eric, knocked on my office door. Hesitantly, he unfolded a family narrative that shared how their American dream had become a family nightmare. The dad was angry, controlling, verbally abusive to the children, and intimidating to his wife. The mom was fearful, in denial, and struggling with anxiety. One child was struggling with depression. A church of 300 people, surely we did not have the resources to meet such an immense and complicated crisis, right? There was nothing small or average about this problem. If most churches and Christians are honest, there's nothing that unusual about the problem, though, either. Filled with sin and suffering, yes, out of the norm, no. From the day I first candidated to be the senior pastor, I asked God to help us change the ministry mindset from small church, pastor-centered, to big God, equipping-focused. Together, we caught and cast the vision of the priesthood of every believer, not as some academic idea, but as our biblical calling. With my education in biblical counseling and counselor education, I could have, unwisely, tried to handle this on my own. Instead, we responded as a united family to minister Christ-centered help to this family. Because there were accusations of abuse and threatening behavior, we contacted the proper authorities. Worked out a plan for the father to stay for a period of time in the home of a family in our church. Men within our church provided Steve with love, tough love. Women within our church became a safe haven for Alexis. Steve met with me for counseling One female met with Eric's youngest sister in a mentoring relationship, and another mature believer met with Alexis. One of our members began an informal but intensive mentoring relationship with Eric. Another member began the same with Eric's younger brother. After Steve began to evidence repentance and change behavior, I met with him and Alexis for marriage counseling. Still later, one of our women's ministry leaders and I met with the entire family. We understood that counseling one another was not simply a ministry of a few in one corner of the church, but a mindset of an entire congregation that the Bible is sufficient. It took a congregation. It took both formal counsel and informal one another ministry. 
Both emphasized the personal ministry of the word where members spoke truth into one another's lives. We understood that one another ministry is not just shallow chit-chat reserved for the easy stuff, but a biblical vision for the entire church for all of life. You don't need another program. You want a congregation saturated by the vision of every member ministry and equipped to offer one another ministry. Even more, you want a congregation where every member is a disciple maker. Whether it's whole church care in a situation that is difficult like that, whether it's conversations after small group, over early morning coffee, or in your home every single day, we are able and we are obligated to instruct in the truth. So let's plead with God to equip us by his word, by his spirit to faithfully care for one another in this way, to be a local community here at CCF, brothers and sisters in Christ that love one another, that bear burdens with one another, that encourage and that instruct and counsel and speak into each other's lives. Stand with me. I want to read from Philippians chapter 1 as we close our time together this morning. Philippians 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Father, that is our prayer this morning, that you would make us a church, make us a family, Make us a people gathered in Centerville, Ohio, that are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side until the day we see your face, that we may help one another to mature in Christ, to love you more and to love your word. Help us to not neglect the great privilege that you have given us as your church. Give us the grace we need when we fail, when we don't do this well. Help us to seek to make much of you together as your people. And we will give you all the glory for what you do. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.